the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave today. He might be in on the last hour. We'll see. But he's taking care of some important business. We're expecting J.R. Davis in shortly. Before we get to that, we're going to start talking politics. We're going to continue that conversation, of course, with J.R. Davis, the spokesman for the governor. And we'll continue talking about issues of the day throughout today's show. Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. I want to start by reading you excerpts of an op-ed written a little while ago, and I'm not going to tell you who wrote it initially. We'll get into it, don't get me wrong. But I want you to consider what's written here, whether or not you agree with it, and I'm not going to tell you in advance whether you will, and what you think, how you think that plays out today. So, the op-ed says, too many Americans especially members of my generation, says the author, and I haven't told you who that is, go out of their way to avoid individual responsibility for for themselves and for their families. So this, as you can see from the very opening paragraph, is an appeal for individual responsibility. Now, you and I well know that's a conservative value. Individual responsibility. Do for yourself if you can Don't stand asking for handouts when that effort can be used more productively and you can achieve on your own. I'm not saying there aren't people that can't do or who who are unable to do for themselves. We all understand that. We're talking about the vast majority who are able to do for themselves. Let's focus on that group of people. And this author says... If you can do for yourself, do it. Do it. That's not a controversial concept, particularly to the listeners of the Dave Ellswick show who believe in conservative values. So the author goes on to talk about some. uh, uh, Here's here's the first hint, folks. The author at the time was in Congress, meaning either a member of the House or a senator. Not going to tell you which one yet. And he, and he talks about a certain kind of tax rebate, a redistribution of wealth. And he, the author, it's a he, is arguing against giving this large rebate that would go to fairly well-off families. Now, he has no problem giving it to those truly in need. But he said, well, we don't need to give it to those families that are making good money. Why do we need to give them money? What's the, what's the logic behind that? So that is just a call aptly for fiscal responsibility, obviously. Again, conservative value, fiscal responsibility. If you can pay, then pay. Don't ask for a handout. Right? So, so far, we are... We're doing fine. J.R. Davis just walked in. We're going to get started with him in a moment, but I want to finish up this thought on this 
op-ed that I'm telling you about. And here's the critical comment. The author says, it's a shame that we would give well-off families money to pay for, for child care when A, they can afford it, and B, if they were that wealthy, why is not at least one parent or both parents cooperatively in some sort of sharing arrangement providing the, the daycare, caring for the children? Why are you exporting the care of the children if you're well off enough to do it yourself? Meaning, as the author says later, what is better? Go earn extra money by two parents staying away from the home during the whole day so you can buy a pool, go on a fancy vacation? Or one parent or both through a cooperative arrangement taking care of the kids themselves? And so the author says, if you don't pursue that goal, it's a shame. And the proposal that he's objecting to would, quote, subsidize the deterioration of the family. I agree. I agree. He goes on to say, as I will say now, look, if you're a single family, single parent family, you got to work. Because guess what? Life is not always fair. Or if you're a family, a couple, but you guys barely make ends meet with the two of you working, you got to work. I get it. People carry different burdens on their shoulders. But if you are well off, why don't you think about taking care of your kids yourselves? Not a particularly controversial topic for the listeners of Dave Ellswick or me or I bet JR, but I'm not going to put words in a smoke's mouth. <laughs> so before we get to JR, guess who wrote that op ed? Yeah, you heard it in the debates last night Joe Biden. Joe Biden was once a conservative. He ain't now because he's on the socialist bandwagon. But he was once a conservative, at least for these values. He even says in the article, maybe he's old fashioned. Bring back old fashioned. That's what I say. That's our new motto. Bring back old fashioned. Exactly. Joe, right? Welcome, Jr. Hey, good to be. Sorry, I was running a little Not bit late there. at all. But I'm glad. I mean, that was good. I came in. There was a lot of passion. I was, well, I was stepping out. I'm, so. I'm, I'm screaming in your ear. No, I love it. I love it. I appreciate it. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. Just kind of. Uh, drifting through the swampy summer right now. It's humid oh my and hot, but things are good. It is some warm weather. I'm yes. glad I've got a good AC system at the house. I know. And we, we are paying for it this summer, too. <laughs> you know, I noticed... <laughs> my, letting it just go. My last electric bill was double than what I was used to. But, much like the characters in that op-ed, I can afford it, and I'm not complaining about it. Yeah. You know? Hey, as long as it's still working, I'm good with it. That's so, exactly yeah. right. Um. So, I'm sure you watched the uh, debates last night. I did. It, and, and it's the fascinating. Before. The night before, it? you know, there's been four debates now, and every time uh, one of them ends, I just, I don't, you know, it used to be, uh, you know, Joe Biden, I think, was probably the best candidate to beat Donald Trump in a general, and I still believe that. But there, even he has so many weaknesses going into the it's general. Remarkable. And, and they have just managed... And there's times like look there's some there's some candidates some some you know underdog would probably be an understatement um, but you know Senator Bennett from Colorado made a lot of good points last night I thought Delaney in the first mm-hmm. debate made a lot of good points I agree with that 
But man, I mean, there was a there was an incredible poll uh, that MSNBC pulled up, and it talked about the four major issues that they talk about in the debates, and where they rank with Democrats, how they poll, right? And every one of them, majority of favorable towards Democrats. But when you get into a general, they're all huge, huge. I'm talking like two to one, a failing with the general electorate. Uh, so I, you know. Everybody asks who the winners are in these debates, and it's the Republican Party. It's, it's Donald Trump at this point. I just don't know how you take that message into a uh, a general election and win. It's really remarkable. And you highlight a difficulty when the party out of power has to go through a big primary season as the Democrats are. Now, the Republicans had to do it, and they nonetheless won. Right. Last time. Well, and that's a good point, but right. there, there's one something to note there. That was an open seat. The Democrats also had their primary. Hillary and Bernie were going toe-to-toe. Uh, that's a, good toe point. To toe. That's a so, very good point. And I was, I was actually thinking about this on the way over. You know, where, where I think this is going to hurt the Democrats this time around is because it's a vacuum. It's right. just the Democrats, and, right. and everyone's focused on that. The, the Republicans did the exact same thing in 2016, but you had, you know, similar circumstances over on the left in the Democratic Party with Hillary and Bernie. Um, and I guess for a quick second, the the fellow from from Baltimore, um, but you know I think that's where it kind of shielded the Republican Party a little bit, and then of course Donald Trump's just a very unique and different type of candidate. Um, but I think this is gonna this is gonna end up really hurting the Democrats, regardless of who gets out into the general. There's gonna be a lot of baggage there. Yeah, I think your instincts really are spot on, and and perhaps that's uh, not giving you enough credit. It's more than instincts. It's experience and knowledge. But whatever the case may be, what's also interesting here is typically these types of primaries push the candidates to the extremes of their parties, right? So these guys are going left, Mm -hmm. and then far left, and then super left. And what's interesting about Donald Trump is he was not the most conservative candidate of the bunch at all. He used to quite openly be a Democrat. Right. 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 So uh, that's what that's not happening here. And that insight that you bring up is really interesting. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you make a good point. I mean, Donald Trump, you know, he has a Republican administration. I don't know that Donald Trump has ever been a Republican. Uh, And I think in and I say that because I think in that's what that's what allowed him to do some of the things he did in that primary, because nothing really stuck to him. Yeah. Um, I think in this case and, and to your point in primaries of past, we've seen. Maybe a candidate push other candidates further to the right or left, right? In this Democratic primary, we're seeing five, six, seven candidates pushing the field to the left. And I brought up um, uh, Senator Bennett of Colorado because I just thought, I don't know who he was working for last night, if he was for his own campaign or for the Republican Party, but he continued to say, he must have said it probably five times in the first 30 minutes to an hour of the debate, that the health care for all plan, the Medicare for all plans would take away private insurance, take away options. And, 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 and you know, and it's funny you talk about conservative Joe. Uh, Joe almost sounded like a conservative if you were actually, you know, grading it on a curve last night. Right. right? <laughs> um, but you're talking about these these Medicare for all uh, concepts from these different candidates, and they all sort of, you know, mirror each other. There's some slight differences. But the fact of the matter is you're going to take away the option for private health insurance for 150 to 180 million Americans. You're going to tell them that if you like it, we've lived through this before, right? Right. If you like it, you can't keep it. Right. So they're just saying basically what happened the last time around. But on top of that, and I love this about Senator Bennett, he continued to say that it's going to cost $30 trillion that will be paid for 
by middle-class Americans. Right, of course. And so every middle-class American, and we talk about the 1%, and we talk the, the, the most you know impoverished Americans, but the bulk of America, you know, sort of that middle class, and they're hearing from Democrats last night that uh, we're, we're going to jack your taxes, and we're going to pay for this $30 trillion plan by jacking up your, your taxes. And I just think that that right there, over and decriminalizing the border. Oh, we'll get into all, that. Let's, well, yeah. So let, I'm just saying, it right, was just yeah. remarkable because they're, they're, they just, they're just killing themselves on these issues. And I thought things would change from the first two debates to the second two debates, and they didn't. They yeah. just continue to go right. down this uh, path of election issues that the general, the general electorate is just not there yet. Uh, and, and they may never be. They may be there down the line. But for 2020, they are not there yet, and they will lose. You, you're, I believe you're right on the money. And let's talk briefly about this health insurance issue. How remarkable is it that they literally want to go to one provider? Th- think about whatever car company you think makes the best car. Is it American? Is it, is, it, is it Chevy? Maybe you think a foreign car makes it. Maybe Mercedes is the best. Maybe Porsche is the best. If you think they were, if they were the only car maker in the world with no competition, you think their cars are getting better? You think they might become a little bit lazy? Yeah, the absolutely. lack of competition, right? It's unbelievable. The idea, and that's when I say when you know Joe seemed like the conservative there. Right. Look, I, I understand Republicans, conservatives, we are not for you know government, uh, uh, you know, getting involved. Well, more involved with health care and the universal health care. But what Joe Biden was talking about last night was was essentially in a watered-down version, but free market. You're saying, like, if you want a public option, okay, let's do a public option, which is what he proposes, right. but you get to keep your private insurance if you like it. And and I never thought I'd say this, but, you know, uh, the the candidates on stage last night, you know, with the exception of a couple, make Obamacare look, you know, fairly conservative again Absolute. on a curve. And, and, and you're saying that you're going to... 100%. Gonna, yeah, and so if you're saying that the government, which, again... All conservatives, for the most part, you know, we believe that government messes things up, get it out of the way, let people do their work. Uh, but for the fact of the matter is, you know, we're saying that the Democrats are saying government can do health care better than it is right now. And we believe in only government. And let's get the rest out of the way. Exactly. So it's a recipe. Let's for pick that up after the break. This is the Dave Ellswick show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave. And we are here with J.R. Davis, the spokesman for the governor. JR, as you know, we're talking about these uh, debates that have been going on most recently, uh, last night and the night before. And let's talk about, as you uh, raised before the break, the whole border issue. I really find it remarkable. I I think this whole debate uh, or the debates going on with the Democrats is sort of like New Coke. What do I mean by that? Remember, New Coke came out, it lasted like a day, and then it (laughs) collapsed. And New Coke was basically sweeter than regular Coke, because in uh, they did taste tests with an ounce of Coke, and they go, which do you like better? And for one ounce, everybody likes a little more candy. Yeah, and I think right. the Democrats are just keep offering a little more candy. Yeah. But then when it comes to the actual election, I'm not sure how well that'll play out. Yeah, they're going to leave the rest of Americans with a lot of cavities and right. a sugar coma. That's so, exactly I mean, right. And I think that uh, if you look at the debates last night, and here's what's frustrating. If I'm a Democrat, if I'm a moderate Democrat, and I'm all in for Joe Biden... 
it's frustrating because he's he he's just not as sharp as he used no, to be. No, he's not. And he can't, he can't seem. There were times where I'm watching the debate where I'm trying to like like you know just come from the debater. I'm like I know what to say. Like this is where he's going to hit her, and he just doesn't seem to be able to articulate everything as well as he has in the past, um, or as well as he needs to. But I think he's right as far as Democrats are concerned, and where that support will come from with where he stands on issues. But the fact of the matter is, when you talk about decriminalizing. Uh, uh, border crossings, right? The, the illegal border border crossings. That, that no, I, there's very few Americans. Again, we're talking about general election, and, and we always talk about this, right? You're playing between the twenties, right? Because so goal line to twenties, Democrats going to vote Democrats. That's right. Goal line to twenty, Republican Republican. You're you're playing between the twenties for the independents. Most of those individuals understand that there has to be, you know, there has to be some sort of. Uh, a barrier, if you will, or, or you have to follow the laws because people, there, our nation is a nation of immigrants. People continue to come to our country, but the ones that stay here are the ones that do it the right way. They go through the process. And so to say that you're just going to decriminalize it and that somehow is not going to have a dramatic effect at the southern border is ludicrous. And, how, and yeah. I just don't understand it. First of all, how is that not open borders? It, it, it is, is, right? It, absolutely. It's just, yeah, decriminalizing. Right. That's an, that is open border. And they'll sit there and push back on you. And they said it last night. It is an open border. No question about it. You create an incentive for someone to come in with virtually no punishment if they do come in. That's an open border. Oh, is the door slightly tilted to the left? Maybe, but it's open and you can walk right in. So this notion in the end that the Democrats, by and large, are not for open borders is just a lie. And here's the problem. By the way, you may not know, Jr. maybe you know, my parents were immigrants. I'm all for immigration. Legal immigration. And by the way, your parents or your grandparents or their grandparents, somewhere along the line, they were immigrants. Absolutely. Great. Great. But... You know, think about that door that was floating at the end of Titanic, right? And uh, um, I forget the name of the actor. Um, with that DiCaprio. Kind of, DiCaprio, yeah, yeah. thank you. Uh, so Dica- DiCaprio can't get on a door. Apparently, by the way, there's a whole debate about, he should have gotten on the door. Right. But, but uh, <laughs> DiCaprio can't get on the door, and he drowns. Uh, but the, th- the theory in the movie was if he got on the door, they both drown. I'm not saying we can't have someone join us in this country on the door, let's put in quotes, but you can't overwhelm a country at one time with immigrants. That's why we have a systemized, regular system in which we let in a ton of people through legal immigration. But open borders, the whole thing collapses. Right, and I think that the Republicans can do a much better job of explaining that we are a compassionate party. We're we're so often... Uh, is the case where is nationally the the message is Republicans are you know you know we're, we're getting rid of regulations because we want big business to thrive uh, and that we're closing the borders because we don't want anyone to come to our country because you know we're we're better than them and all they're going to do is corrupt our country and blah 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 take jobs away. That's not the case. I mean the case is we roll back regulations so small businesses and entrepreneurs they can start they can thrive uh, and, and consumers more money can have and consumers can have greater opportunities. Uh, and then on the the border, we want people to come to our country. We, I, th- I mean, we are we are a nation of immigrants. We all came from somewhere to this country. We are still very young uh, in this republic. And so I think that when 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 Republicans talk about 
immigration. We have to be clear in what we stand for, and that is come to our country, do it in the right way, because Democrats, you've got millions already coming into this country illegally over the years. If you say that you're going to decriminalize illegal border crossings, tell me how that does not just shoot those numbers up through the roof. It it will, because now even those who know that there's going to be some sort of consequence – are still coming. So if you right. remove those consequences, more are going to come. Of course they will. Of course they will. Um, you know, I, I think this is a fantastic uh, um, topic, and we're going to pr- pick this up right after the break. Uh, we're going to go to uh, the news, uh, and we have another guest joining us now. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck. Uh, I have as a guest J.R. Davis, a spokesman for the governor, and now, Chris Corbett, attorney, has joined us also, and he will be here for the rest of the show. Guys, uh, as you know, we've been talking about the debates. We've been talk- we talked about the positions of the Democrats on health insurance. We are talking about this insane notion of essentially creating open borders by the left, uh, by the Democrats. I think those terms have become interchangeable uh, at, at this point. One thing I thought that was quite interesting, Jr., is when – you'll have to remind me because all of these people uh, sort of blend together for me, if not you. Uh, when <laughs> one of the Democratic candidates was saying, well, you know, we, sh- we can't do that. With the, this, we can't do this. We can't do that. And then Warren says, I don't know why you're running for president if you don't yeah. think about – and I think the response to that is I'm running for president – uh, to manage this country, not to run a fantasy land, right? right? Yeah. Because her her claim was, if you don't have fantasy ideas, then you shouldn't be running for president. Good luck with that. Well, and that's just, and it was John Delaney who's the one that. I mean, again, throughout both debates, there's been some moderates, and, yeah. and I was kind of uh, um, uh, joking with him earlier that that some of these. Moderate Democrats almost look conservative when you're comparing them to the rest of these other candidates up there. But Delaney was making the point that hey, if, if you want to, if you want to appeal to the masses when you get out of this primary, you've got to do some things that people can understand and digest and aren't afraid of. And who knows where we're going to be as a country in 20 years from now? But right now in 2020, the general election is the the electorate. They are not ready for these ideas of you know the, the climate change which is going to cost trillions of dollars in those plans and then you're talking about you bring up senator warren where she says you know we're going to erase all college debt i, I just want to be clear you you can't erase debt someone has to pay for it uh, and so that's going to be the federal government um and and to the medicare for all I mean, we're talking you know taking away choice and uh raising taxes substantively on uh, middle class Americans, and and I just think all those just those three alone are going to be really tough for voters to get on board with, and they may abs- some of them may absolutely hate Trump, and they just may not vote, um, but others are going to say, well, you know, I may not like Trump's personality, I may not like him as president, but like we talked about, the economy is doing well. I have my job, you know, I, I'm making a little more money in my paycheck. I mean, there's there's these things that are saying, hey, me right now, I'm good, so we can stomach another four years. I think that's going to be some thoughts, some of the thought that goes 100%. on in some of these, these folks' heads. So I, um, 
I'm, I'm telling you. And, and another issue, too, with Bernie Sanders, when he talks about his health care plan, again, which would eliminate private insurance and employer-sponsored insurance and, and have nothing available other than a public option, he's, he makes the point where we're going to raise taxes on middle-class Americans, but your health care is going to be cheaper. The reality of that is people do not deal with health care on a daily basis. They do deal with, what am I going to eat? Can I pay my utility bills? Can I pay for rent or my mortgage, uh, daycare, whatever it might be? That's what they care about on a daily basis. Most most Americans, I would say on average, don't deal with health care crises or going to the doctor more than maybe once or twice a year. So I think, again, while he's saying that it all equals out, most Americans aren't going to see it that way. And that's what's going to be really hard to digest if you're headed to the ballot box uh, or whether you'd make the decision to vote or not. And so I, these debates, it's not helping Democrats right now. It's really putting them in an awkward spot because that's going to be the platform. What they're talking about right now, that's the platform in the general. Uh, and it's, it's going to be tough to, to walk back once you get there. And that claim, of course, that in the end, when you do all the math – that you're going to wind up paying less for your health care. That's a dubious claim. And people rightfully at this point in their lives, in this point in American history, are skeptical when the government comes and shows up and says, give us your money, we'll take care of it. Absolutely. Well, a great example, and it was raised in the debate last night, was Governor Jay Inslee, who took credit for having the first public option uh, in of any state. Uh, and one of the candidates shot back – actually, I believe it was one of the, uh, the uh, commentators or whatever uh, – said that you only, you only decreased premiums by 5% on the public option. A 5% decrease – in someone's health premiums on a public option is what Jay Inslee offered and they passed in Washington State. So if that's going to be sort of the, you know, somewhere along the lines of 5%, maybe even 10% of a nationwide public option, does that really move the needle? Right. And again, I, you know, we saw the, the rollout of Obamacare and the flaws that it had, and that wasn't – that didn't cover everyone, right. you know? And so what what happens when the government is the, is the so, one sole entity responsible providing health care for all Americans? I and, mean, and remember when Obamacare rolled out and they made all these promises. Forget about the you can keep your doctor right. if you want, which obviously just completely <laughs> went by the wayside, right? Yeah. But all these other promises, and then – Many of them didn't materialize. Well, look, it's a big program. We've got to work the kinks out. If that's a big program that you've got to work the kinks out, good luck with this one. Yeah. Because this is a planet, right? This is, this is a comparison between the moon and Saturn. Yeah. Like, there's no comparison. And let's be clear about something real fast. So we're going back to 2016. I said that people will hold their nose and vote for Trump because of some of the policies coming out of the Democratic Party. In 2016... And I will say this, Hillary Clinton, compared to the candidates on the stage, there's probably a lot of Democrats saying, oh, was she, you know, she would have been a much better candidate than some of these others that are running. Right. Right. And people voted for Donald Trump in 2016 just despite Hillary Clinton. Right. I mean, so it's, for Democrats to think that things are going to get better four years later by moving further left is, is an is an idiotic idea. I just think that I don't know what where the strategy is coming from, but I, I just it's not going to happen in 2020. And I think they're really going to push their party backwards. You know, Hillary, and you raise an excellent point about her. She was an interesting 
candidate and character because part of our problem, I think, and, and I offer this for your commentary, is that I think a lot of people just didn't like her as well. Right. Do you yeah. think, I think that so far, well, it depends. I think some of these candidates, like Bill de Blasio, people don't like. He just, right. he's so off-putting. It's remarkable, really is. isn't it? Did you notice in the debate, I didn't even mean to go down this rabbit hole, but let's pick it up for just a moment. He did two extremely annoying things. One is, even though he was at the end of the dais, let's call it, and so he's asked questions from people in the middle. He turned to his left so that he could stare into the camera. Yeah. It looked entirely <laughs> artificial yeah. because it was entirely artificial. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. And then the second thing is he kept saying, hey, Joe, hey, Joe, because he figures if he and Joe Biden are in the same conversation, he, Bill de Blasio, looks relevant. He's not. Yeah, he's he- just not. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, again, it was, it was actually an interesting exchange, which I think we can use for, for other things today. Uh, but there was an exchange between Joe Biden and um, uh, uh, Julian Castro, the former HUD secretary, and they were going back and forth about border security. And Castro turned to Joe Biden and said, it looks like one of us has learned from past experience. And I just I, I when I heard that, I thought to myself, every Democrat could look at each other and say, somebody's learned from the past election, and it hasn't been any of us. Because I'm telling you right now, the way they are going and the trajectory of this primary right now, it may be, it will be really entertaining, and and it might have some crazy climactic end, you know, when they finally pick their candidate, but it is going to go down in flames uh, in the general election, because again, they, they aren't talking about realistic things that we can do to move the needle, right? If I'm speaking for a Democrat uh, or someone that's on the fence or an independent, mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. talking about spending trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars on all of these new programs that we don't even know if you know they're going to work, right? I mean, you, you don't know what's going to happen, especially if you're talking about a decrease of 5% of a premium, right? Um, but on top of that, you're talking about decriminalizing the border, which, again, we've talked about this. It, that just basically means it's an open border. So if you have millions that are already coming across, now there's now you've taken away every disincentive for them not to come over. Uh, so those are the issues, I think, that are going to be really, really tough for voters to digest in November. And either it's going to you know stifle voter turnout for Democrats, or some people will hold their nose and say, hey, four more years isn't that bad. You know, JR, there's a point on that that there's some credence to. If you can control the agenda, if you can create the issues of what we're going to talk about, then that sits the agenda for the next term. And I'm, I'm just wondering if that is that what they're doing here by saying we're going to you know make college free, we're going to socialize medicine, and the, will these things become the topics that the next president has to handle? I think so, and I think they made a good point last night talking about uh, uh, Barack Obama, where he wasn't huge on health reform, if you remember, but he was pushed into it uh, in his first two years as president. So when we talk about Obamacare, and that's one of his biggest legacies, it wasn't necessarily something that he was pushing for on the campaign trail. So I agree with you. Yes, absolutely. This is They're setting the stage for whoever, you know, if it is a Democrat that wins the presidency, they're going to have to take the mantle on some of these things, and, and it's going to be pretty difficult to do and and regardless of who is in charge of the senate and the house if democrats have the house senate and the white house it's still going to be difficult for them to get some of these things done because there are democrats in the house and senate that are like this may be going a bit too far and i'm just telling you that's where we are right now and it's unbelievable to me did i misunderstand it last night because i heard 
Andrew Yang, is it Yang? Yeah. yeah. Andrew Yang talking, and he's a businessman, mm-hmm. and he's a smart guy. You can tell just by right. listening. There's no question about intellectual competence. And uh, listen, I, I, I may use Bill de Blasio as a punching bag in part because I'm originally from New York, but he's not a smart guy. Right. So, But Andrew Yang's a smart guy. Yeah. And I don't even know all of his positions on all things, but he struck me as slightly, as a general matter, more moderate than some of the pure lefties up there, the politicos. But I thought I heard him say that we should move to higher ground because yeah. we're going to have such climate change that we're going to be drowned. At. Was that literal? No, that's, or was that a no, I think no. I no. I think he was being very literal, uh, and it was funny because you know, you've got Jay Inslee who's literally running an entire campaign on climate change. Right. So good luck. Um, but he was making the point that you know, if you are a true believer in climate change, we've missed the boat, right? I mean, they're saying that you have ten years to do this. I mean. 10 years is, is not a long period of time no. at all. We've, we've missed that boat, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what he was basically saying. And he was saying that basically the gov- government should step in and, and help individuals find higher ground. I mean, that's, that's he wasn't, I don't think he was being metaphorical in, in what he was saying, but uh, well, it was very interesting. Let's pick up on that because it, it, that strikes me as how all of these guys are going off the rails. And we'll do that after this break. This is Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave today. We have with us J.R. Davis, a spokesman for the governor, and attorney Chris Corbett. We've got Willie on the phone. We're going to take him quickly. Willie, what do you got to tell us? Hello, Professor. How are you? Hello, J.R., and hello, Chris. How are you? All right. Professor? Yes, sir. I remember hearing on the radio... When Biden was running with with Obama mm-hmm. uh, for president, vice president, right? I, and uh, this was—I don't know what year it was—but uh, but Biden was speaking before the NAACP convention, and I remember hearing on radio that Biden uh, was talking to the audience, saying he's going to put you all back in chains, yeah, stuff like that. I remember that comment. What do you think of that? What's what's what do you make of that? Well, I don't know for sure, but uh, well, I've got a few thoughts you, on that, Willie. Let, 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 turn up your radio. We're, we're going to take you off the air, and we'll talk about that, uh, and we'll and we'll bridge it. Thanks for the call, Willie. You know, I, but I think that I think Willie does bring up a good point, which is. Biden does have the following problem. He's been around so long that he's like the Arkansas weather. Just wait 10 minutes and it'll change, right? And so just wait 10 minutes and Joe will change his mind. And so he was all against somebody then and now he's all for him and now he can't believe that the other 38 people competing against him were his best buddy in politics by the way your best buddy in politics ain't your best buddy yeah and now they're at, they have the temerity to challenge him so yeah. you know i i do think that is a lot of baggage for him what well, are your thoughts well let me first start out by saying that i think that the the racial undertones from from president trump there's no place in that for politics i think it hurts the party i think it distracts people from what's going on I mean, Maybe that's the strategy. Uh, I wish that would stop. 
But I'll also speak to the hypocrisy as well. When you talk about the comments made by some of these candidates a long time ago, um, including Bernie Sanders. And I can't speak to a certain thing that he said, but he's gotten in trouble for saying some things. But there's a lot of hypocrisy in in their party right now. Um, But Biden, I still think he's in a good position because obviously he's the front runner, regardless of his past. And this is where I think he may have a little bit of a Trump in him, meaning that you can't peg him or pin him down on any certain thing because he's been around forever and he's attached to everything, right? Whether he's been a yay or a nay at some point He's been both a yay and a nay speak Exactly. He can speak to something. I voted for that and against it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But also, I think he's going to continue to have this idea uh, with most of the party that he's our best chance to beat Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And you may not love everything mm-hmm. about Joe Biden, and you may say, hey, your votes in the 80s and 90s were, were not what they needed to be or however long he's been around. But, I mean, they're going to say that we may not agree with you completely, but you're saying the right things now, and we'll just go with you because you're our best bet. And that's where I think that he's still in a great position. We talked about that floor. I don't know that he's going to go much you know he's not going to drop a whole lot more right and when you have some of these other moderates dropping out like delaney and that's where i think he benefits again now if a warren or a bernie drops out the other's going to benefit and that could ultimately win them the primary but for biden he's in a good spot because these other moderates and i'm talking about you know michael bennett uh steve bullock uh possibly even pete Buttigieg when he finally drops out uh, john delaney you go down the list here there's there's quite a few moderates that when they drop those votes are going to go to uh, the vice president. And so I, I'm just, I think, I just think no matter what happens, as long as he doesn't have some crazy, you know, day on the campaign trail and he just sort of manages it, he's going to be the nominee for the Democrats. But mm-hmm. I still don't know. Again, last night we talked about he's just not as articulate as he no. used to be. And I think Trump is going to wipe the floor with him on a debate stage just because I don't think he can get his ideas out anymore, which is really tough to watch last night. It was it was very difficult. You know, you raise a very interesting point. I had met Joe Biden several times when I was a counsel on the Senate Judiciary Committee, and I knew several of his counsels, very smart people. He hired really smart people, by the way. And I met him. Very briefly, it's hard to sort of give a description of him based only on that, but I also saw him operate in the Senate, and very sharp guy, mm-hmm. and it's he's not the same. He's not. Yeah. He, right, and I had, I was much more cautious talking about Mueller in the sense that Mueller is not running for public office. So we saw Mueller's performance in that committee, and all I said, it is what it is, and you all can draw your own conclusions. But this guy's put himself on the stage, and right. now, so he's, and I don't, I'm not looking to be cruel, and I won't be cruel, but he's opened himself up to criticism, and it's a fair criticism to say that he's not very sharp up there. Yeah, and that's, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously a, a Republican, but sure, there were times but, last night where I'm watching that you're just sort of pulling for Joe to put something together. That's right. And it just he just couldn't seem to do it. That's and, right. And it was really frustrating to watch. Yeah, Jay, I think you're right on point. But my friends that are Democrats, they, they said they couldn't even watch it. Yeah. They lasted 10 minutes. And I had to quit watching. Yeah. And I, I called him. I said, why, could, why didn't you watch? He said, it was awful. Yeah. I couldn't why it was painful. Yeah, and so, it, 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 you're exactly right. It's not just Joe. It's the fact that you have two debates with 10 candidates. You can't talk about substantive policies right. in, in 60 seconds or 30 seconds or, you know, at a 15. I love the 15-second rebuttal. I mean, <laughs> what are you going to say in 15 <laughs> seconds? Uh, but well, you can, be like, you can be like Gillibrand and not even know that you're on stage. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah how many times true. do you say, huh? Yeah. What, me? Yeah. Am I still up here? I thought I went home already. Yeah, I'm telling you, that's, that's the biggest thing. Once they start consolidating and, and, and getting down 
down to four or five candidates, it'll be there'll be a little more conversation. But to your point, Joe Biden, it's just it is. It's tough to watch. You're sitting there. You know, we all lived through the Obama administration. We know the answers to some of these questions and some of the things he just could not articulate it was just very frustrating to watch but that's where i just think he you know what was what was how old was reagan when he was elected 70 right i don't know exactly but in 76 right Uh right and and you start at some point you start wondering you know how how sharp are they right upstairs and 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 i think that's a viable uh concern for for voters and i think that'll play into the the general election too if he's the primary candidate it's a perfectly legitimate question to be asking there's nothing inappropriate about asking that and, and I wanted him to yeah. look. I, I wanted him to wipe the floor with some of those candidates last night, just because I think some of the ideas were so ludicrous. Right. But you know, it just it was it was tough to watch. Yeah. Uh, look, in the end, uh, I'm not sure who's a better candidate for Trump to run against. And since I want Trump obviously to get reelected, I would prefer the weakest candidate to win. And I, but I don't know who that is these days. I don't either. You I know? think you're absolutely right. No idea. It, it, it's really it's really tough. Uh, and Joe had an opportunity now twice. To, to mop it up, and he did it. So now we know we're in for the long haul because if he had two opportunities to wipe it up and he couldn't, that's not going to happen on the third try. Well, JR, listen, it's really uh, a wonder, wonderful opportunity to have you in uh, talk about politics. You are an expert, wiser than your age presents, uh, and we look forward to talking to you yeah, again. Just fake it till you make it, man. Thank you. <laughs> This is Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for the incomparable Dave Ellswick. We are joined, as you know, with attorney Chris Corbett, and we have a new guest in the studio. It's Amy Johnson. Amy teaches or is involved in virtual school, but instead of me trying to explain it, Amy, why don't you tell the audience what you do, who you work for, it's the state, but in more detail. Absolutely. So I'm the head of school um, at Arkansas Virtual Academy, and um, the head of school role is much like a superintendent's role in any other school district, but Arkansas Virtual Academy is a fully online public school at home opportunity, um, a choice to the public school um, organization that most students attend. And uh, our students in grades kindergarten through 12, um, they work with teachers and have a regular school experience, but they do it all online um, from the comfort of their home. And how do parents decide and what do they do if they so decide to get involved in virtual school versus, I guess we call it brick and mortar school, right? Right. So um, students and parents that want to um, really look into the opportunity for ARVA or Arkansas Virtual Academy um, would just simply go to our website. It's arva.k12.com. And there's videos there that talk about a day in the life of a student. Um, Parents can look at resources to become a learning coach because we do ask them to partner with our students since they're home with them. And uh, they can look around the website. There's directions there to register and uh, to contact the school, learn more about our school from the site. Well, and that's, that's extremely helpful resources. Tell us and tell Dave's audience, by the way, someone snuck into this studio. I'm here. Yeah, it looks remarkably like Dave Ellswick, but he's sitting on the wrong side of the table. Yeah, well, you're going to sit there because I asked you to fill in, but I got done with the meetings that I had to do, so I came on in because I wanted to talk to Amy. It's fascinating. I've been involved with Arkansas Virtual Academy or known about it since William Bennett came here and helped get it started. Oh, wow. And my daughter uh, did, did two years oh, wow. with it. And it is a wonderful, and it's an excellent 
resource. Now, let me tell you, I don't know if it's this way or not anymore, Amy, but when William came here, B.B. was governor. Mm-hmm. Sorry. And sorry to hear it. Didn't, yeah, well, it's sorry for the and sorry for the people of Arkansas because right. the Democrats held back mm-hmm. on the Arkansas Virtual Academy. They did not let it grow as fast as it would have grown. Wow! If if they would have just got their butts out of the way, mm-hmm. now I understand it is growing. It is growing. We're in the third year of an expansion, so our cap this year is set at three thousand. Wow! Um, we're already at a twenty four hundred enrollment. Just a few hundred, <laughs> right? They say, "Well, we'll let a few AEA." They're a pain in the butt. But the bottom line is, everybody who is scared of, of moving forward, right, with education, we're against this program and. There is no doubt it has proven itself, and more. I'm just saying, if you're out, you know, in the the hitherlands of Arkansas, this is the way to go. And there are a lot of hitherlands in Arkansas. Seriously, it's a very spread out state. Uh, so, who is the ideal candidate to, for your program, and who maybe less so? Well, it's a great question, um, and the best answer I have for that is just to talk to you about our first three valedictorians. Yeah, yeah, um, great. Our first valedictorian uh, was a student who battled leukemia the oh. entire time she was with us. Oh, my goodness. Um, she was able to complete her schooling, uh, managed to continue to take honors courses, and graduated as the valedictorian of her class, um, despite those medical challenges. Um, and she has since passed, uh, mm. passed about a year to the day after she graduated, mm. so it was a huge... Um, life accomplishment for mm-hmm. her to be able to have that regularity in her in her lifestyle despite mm-hmm. her circumstance. Our second valedictorian was an honor grad, National Merit Scholar, attend Hendricks on an academic and athletic full ride scholarship. Oh my goodness! Um, great, great, outstanding kid that just really needed our environment in order to be able to succeed and excel and not be held back um, by some of the requirements she might have had normally. Mm-hmm. And then um, our valedictorian this last year uh, was a young lady who had a baby at 15 and her local brick and mortar wanted to put her in the ALE program. What is and ALE? It's an alternative learning environment. So typically that's an that's environment. Not good, is it? It's not usually good. No. Yeah, um, it's, it, it's an opportunity for students that are struggling, um, usually very basic education classes. And she was very bright. She wanted honors classes. So mm-hmm. she was discouraged. She took a year off of school and really researched what her options were. And she found ARVA. And she graduated with honors with us and is hopeful to um, go to Texas A&M and she wants to work for the government. She wants to work for the Secret Service. So. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. So a variety. She wants to be a spook in other words. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. So a smart one. I like go. that, man. There you go. And it's so a variety of a variety yeah. of student situations, um, different lifestyles. We have um, a free and reduced lunch population of about 67%. Wow. So, I'm very familiar with that. Yeah. So, you know, our SPED population um, typically bounces between 15 and 20%. So really to, to choose a typical student for us is very hard to pin down because mm-hmm. – it's as vast it's as what you yeah. would see in a regular brick-and-mortar school. Wow. So. And it's a choice, right? Absolutely. It's a choice. Absolutely. God bless that, by the right way. On. You know, God help us. That's right. That people and parents would have choices. That's right. That's right. We talk, and I'm not, I don't want with, with Amy here to get too much into the politics, but, you know, you hear about pro-choice. Well, what about pro-choice when it comes to go, where you send your kids? You know, why can't, why can't parents decide w- what to do with their kids? And that's why I'm for school choice as a general concept. 
and I, I believe in vouchers, and that's going beyond the scope of what you guys do. But the notion is similar. That is, give parents more control over the type of education that their kids get for two reasons, or maybe even more than two reasons. One is, as you point out, different types of populations have different types of needs. And two is, we don't know everything. That experimentation that goes on with education has to be decided by someone, and I don't need a bureaucrat deciding it for me. If I have kids, I want to decide that for my kids in, in consultation with experts that I think know what they're talking about. So I really think this is uh, uh, just a wonderful choice opportunity for parents across Arkansas. What about things like sports, extracurricular? You know, they say, oh, you keep the kids at home. They, 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 grow, they grow up to be basket cases. They're not socialized. Well, that, that's clearly wrong, by the way, but tell us why it's wrong. Well, first of all, um, what most parents don't know is that they can still participate in extracurriculars in their local school district. So that's a conversation for them to have with their local superintendent, what the local school requirements are. Uh, the laws surrounding that are pretty wide, so school districts have some power in deciding um, you know, what those requirements are to participate. But they can still do that. But for ARVA, uh, we've really worked to provide opportunities for our students to meet one another, even though they're all over the state. Um, we have different outings throughout the year. We have adventure days where they go do fun things like go to the zoo or skate parks. Um, we have assist days this year. We're really excited to add these. Our students in different locations throughout the state are going to be working in their communities um, for nonprofit organizations, providing community service events, and just really doing some um, social and service learning um, you know, opportunities there. And then we're also going to have some academic days where the students come together and they're doing extended activities, whether it's, you know, maybe building a volcano or maybe they're exploring something academically. But we're also going to take that time for parents to be able to meet together and use each other as a resource and what they're experiencing in schooling at home and then um, training them as learning coaches so that they can also then train new learning coaches as they come on and really build community with our parents as well. And we have Prom and we have a high school fall dance and graduation. Most of the things you would see, we have. Question on the on the athletics portion. So what you're saying is, you had a student in Narva, Mm -hmm. they could possibly play soccer for the Conway High School. Absolutely. So so that's what I think the audience is wondering about. Yeah. So they you have an excellent soccer player. The Conway soccer coach may want that player, even though they don't attend Conway High School. Absolutely. It's fantastic. Fantastic. We have students that do that. They um, often take band at their local school district. Um, that's a little hard to do virtually. Although we, <laughs> although we do have a virtual um, vocal solo class, believe it or not, oh, it's a choir great. class, and we have a great um, uh, uh, instruct, music instructor, and um, he gets them all on the video camera, and they do videos of them singing. Now, and let me ask great. one more clarification on that, because when I was in college in the 90s, we had an engineering professor that had a virtual class. Mm-hmm. I went and checked out his VCR tapes <laughs> and plugged them into a VCR, and I watched class. Is that what your students are doing? at ARVA? Well, our students are actually participating in live sessions, video, live, online, um, interacting with each other um, and with their instructors. So they do have the ability to watch a recording. So if they can't um, come to class for some reason, right. right, But the live is critical. It strikes me, but you're the expert when it comes to this area. But as you may know, I'm a teacher at the um, college level. And the live interaction 
uh, strikes me as critical. Watching a video is not the same as being called on, being able to ask a question, interacting with the teacher, and interacting with the other students. What do you think of that? Uh, We really emphasize that live instruction. We think it's important. Um, We have some students that excel at utilizing the strength of the curriculum. Maybe they have a highly engaged parent who really um, wants to do some hands-on. Maybe they were initially thinking about homeschooling and the whole thing was intimidating, and so they found us and it was a good fit. Um, And so often those students will um, excel with or without that live connection. Um, But those are also usually the kiddos that are probably going to excel regardless, right? right? But do they have the option of avoiding the live, or they still have to attend the live? Um, Typically, they will have the option of not having to attend the live session. Of course, we watch um, their academics. We want to make sure they're making growth. Uh, We're under all the same requirements from the ADE as every other public school in the state. So, um, you know, we do the testing, and we have certified teachers and all of those pieces that are required um, for that school accountability. what you're saying is I couldn't just go back to high school right now and cheat. I just hit push play on your system and just walk away from the computer. It's not how it works. That's right? not how it works. That may have been how it worked in the VCR tapes. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, I don't know about that VCR tape business. <laughs> uh, right Chris, be careful. I'm not sure she's old enough to know what a VCR tape is. Oh, I so. will take that as a compliment. Yeah, exactly. Let's write that down. It's that thing that flashes, you know, at 12 o'clock for hit, all of us. You can hit fast forward. Yeah. Like, yeah. like on YouTube, right? Oh, I'm done with that class. There you go. But you yeah. had to rewind, right? Uh, yeah. Otherwise, Absolutely. you lost your deposit on your on your rental. That's Isn't right. that the rule? That's oh, exactly. I forgot about that. Yeah. She does know. Exactly. <laughs> she, she's gone to Blockbuster before they collapsed, right? Isn't that funny? I think Blockbuster was the biggest financial collapse of any business. It's interesting. But it, it shows you just things have changed. And, of course... Uh, and I'm going to leave Amy out of this, but this is the politics. You know, those on the left would say, well, we got we to keep that business around. Oh, sure. Yeah, that would be great. Um, Amy, what is it that uh, what is it that distinguishes online education from brick and mortar for the parent that sort of doesn't have a clue about, you know, that it's time for kids to go to junior high school. Someone told me there's this online thing. What should, you know, what, what is the issue that should that they should be thinking about if they're even interested in online education? Sure. I think the the thing that really sets Arva apart is the fact that we work very hard um, and, you know, it seems like a, a sort of a big departure virtually, but we work very hard to see our students, even though we don't see our students. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a fantastic you know, point. We really, we really feel like every single student is a story and it's just waiting to be told and we want to be a part of that story and you know through our career readiness um, opportunities that we have in our school through relationships with teachers where we can reteach um, subjects if they aren't mastered or we can slow down some content or we can give students an opportunity to really grapple with some some ideas um, from my experience in brick and mortar and listen those teachers are doing a great job and they're doing what they can with the resources they have but they have lots of kids and the majority of the time um, in a brick and mortar class I know I had to teach to the middle right I had to keep my advanced kids entertained I had to try to speed up my kids that were falling behind and really just cater to the middle and so that is one way where um, we can make a difference is that we have a little bit more flexibility to do that I want to pick up on that exact point after we take this break this is a Dave Ellswick show I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave he's in the studio one 
wandering around. He's what was the name of that vice presidential candidate that they made fun of on on Saturday Night Live, Russ? You remember when he could, would just kind of walk into the screen? That's why I feel like Dave is today. He's here. He's not here. I don't know where he is. Now Dave's doing what? Well. Dave had a meeting earlier today. He was uh, able to break away and join us. And you heard if you were listening to the last segment, which you should have been, he was uh, engaged, but he had to step out again for some other matters. But he'll be he'll be swinging back in at some point uh, during the talk. We're talking with Amy Johnson, uh, the head of ARVA, to have the, and she'll, right. she'll define it again for the listeners, and of course, Chris Corbett, uh, the uh, Ed McMahon to my poor man's Johnny Carson is here today. Thanks for having me on. Uh, my pleasure. Um, so, we were talking during the, the break, actually, Amy, and you were describing um, how ARVA kind of fits in, in a modern world, uh, to offer a choice to parents that, of course, they didn't have when when I was a kid, and and tell us, of course, we know about brick and mortar. We have a sense about the notion of homeschooling, and most parents are kind of afraid to do that because, like, hey, I'm not a teacher. How how can I do that? So, how does Arva bridge that gap? And what remains the role of the parent? Because I think there are some parents out there who say, I don't know, if I do this uh, digital school, I think I'm going to wind up being the teacher. And it's not that I don't want to do the work, but I don't know what to do. So talk to us about that. Absolutely. So um, we utilize our parents uh, as what we call learning coaches. And um, learning coaches partner with our teachers um, to just help guide students, make sure that they have the resources they need, um, you know, if they're having trouble with the computer. Certainly those learning coaches are more hands-on the younger the student is. Um, Just makes sense that they're going to have to take a bit more of an active role. But one of the things that I think is such a benefit for parents in um, our organization is that they don't have to wonder about um, the curriculum. Are they choosing the right thing? Are they covering the right topics? Are they meeting state standards? Um, You know, there's always this question when you make these decisions about your students and your and your children um, in your mind. I don't want to mess up my kid, right? Something I do would sort of, um, you know, sentence them to this difficulty in their future. And ARVA takes that guesswork out um, for families and, and parents who really want to homeschool, but they're nervous about it. They don't know where to start. They don't know what state regulations are. And so because we are um, an approved school, accredited school with the state, they don't have any of those concerns. We keep an eye on the curriculum and the assignments and the flow and the state standards. We do all of those pieces for them, and we just partner with them and reach out to assist them if they have questions, um, if they need help in um, helping their students. We do that as well. And then um, we also offer you know those live teaching sessions, so they're certainly not alone. Uh, they're not that tumbleweed in the desert just trying to find a place that works for their kids. Uh, we're really that guiding factor and driving force for them, and it just um, takes away a lot of those question marks for that choice. For those involved, and I gather it's most, but you tell me, those involved in the live classes, is it much like going to regular brick-and-mortar school, meaning whatever the time is, let's say 8 a.m. At 8 a.m. they start, there's a first class, then there's a bell or something equivalent thereof, and at 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. Uh, they're done? Well, similar but different, yeah. which is you know the worst description maybe on the face of the planet. Um, but 
they are going to have those sessions, but they're not tied um, to an eight to three hour day or a three o'clock day. Um, their sessions are built on the skills that they need to be successful. So uh, they're maybe not going to an English class where they're going over the lesson that day. The curriculum and the platform are guiding those pieces. So that is being driven by the platform and the assignment itself. The teacher is actually monitoring and looking at where did this student succeed and where did they struggle? And we're going to teach to that struggle to make sure that we pull them up. So um, many of our families uh, might be done with Class Connects and even their assignments by noon. Some may be done by two. Some may be done by four if they have more or if they have um, you know extra things they need to do to, to fill that skills gap. How fantastic. Yeah. So, so it's flexibility. Yeah. Flexibility is Definitely. good. Yeah. Flexibility. So if uh, you had a... Uh, a student that's very good at, say, horseback riding. They, they've got some opportunities in their junior year of high school, so they focus on this sport, and they still may be able to get class credit by going to Harva. Absolutely. That, we have that, students that participate competitively in athletics. Uh-huh. Um, we have some students that are um, very into drama, and they're in performances in their communities, and so that takes a lot of their time. Uh, we just have a huge, wide variety. Some of our special needs students have an extreme therapy schedule, and That's it makes it I very hard you right. know, for them so to do medical class. issues that you could encounter and still be able to get be going to high school. Because Absolutely. of the flexibility. Right. And that's, you know, with the career um, readiness education, that fills in, in that um, niche as well, because we have nine different pathways that our students can take advantage of. Um, our high school students can participate in work-based learning and um, career readiness internships. That's great. We're going to go to a break now. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave. Dave is in the studio. We have a uh, wet team out looking for him now. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to drag him back into to the studio, but in the meantime, I will do my poor man's version. We're talking with Amy Johnson from Arva, and of course, Chris Corbett, attorney uh, here in Little Rock, and Conway, in fact, yes. uh, is um, and prosecuting attorney on behalf of what? What city? City Hazen. City of Hazen Part, as well. Part time uh, prosecuting attorney. So he does it all, uh, but really, Amy does it all because. She is the school administrator for online education, which means you have to deal with everything. Isn't that right? We uh, we have a variety of pieces that we manage for sure. Um, it's you know people always ask uh, exactly what does that mean when you're an administrator of an online um, school because you know surely kids don't get in trouble and what are you really uh, what are you really doing? But we have a lot of pieces that we coordinate. Um, there is a huge platform that gets pushed for our students with all the courses, um, setting up classes, uh, any any of those pieces uh, short of janitors moving the chairs in and out of the classroom. Um, <laughs> happen at our school in the summer and um, you know we have grades kindergarten through 12th and it's always an adventure to see what's what's going to come up next how um, many students how many students there? we'll have right at 2400 when we start this fall so that's amazing tw- so 2400 students are logging in for monday classes is that right yes and, <laughs> some- and sometimes as happens when you're trying to log into your system we have to cross our fingers and hope it goes well like it's a search on the system um i was but, exaggerating uh, on that but literally it's flexible yeah the flexibility yeah so so is that 2400 that sounds like such a round number is that a cap our cap this year is at um 3, oh, i think right. last time i checked in roman it was at 2375 oh, so, so okay. we'll probably be right at that 2400 once school nice. starts on the 14th and is there any charge to parents or is this part of just 
living in Arkansas and paying your taxes. It is a uh, and it's an accredited public school through the Department of Ed. So um, students can attend free of charge, just like um, going to their brick and mortar. And um, depending on their free and reduced lunch status, um, it's not unusual for us to also be able to provide them um, a computer and a printer That's if fantastic. they need it. We ship them all their curriculum. Um, our students do receive um, textbooks. And um, they are funded in some part like $6,000 a student. Or is that 6060 yes. bucks or yeah, no, no reason I know right that. around sixty seven hundred, I think okay. this year. Yeah, so yeah, it's part of the the funding formula through the state um, for their public schools, and uh, we operate very very similarly. That's, That's fantastic. great. That's really it's really a terrific opportunity. So when students come to class online, uh, what requirements do you have for them in terms of being present? Meaning, can they show up in their pajamas? Absolutely, they can show up in their pajamas, um, as long as they show up in something, right? right. Especially if we're on video. Right. They, um, they can do that in the public schools. That's true. <laughs> that's true. That's I'm exa- just saying, they can show I, up in their pajamas. I've had students show up in, not pajamas, but uh, casual wear, to, to say the least. Yeah. Yeah, so they can school, um, you know, from, uh, as we mentioned earlier, a therapy session, or if they're waiting for gymnastics practice, um, you know, it's very much uh, has the ability to be an on-the-go situation for students, as long as they have that internet connection, and they have their computer uh, they're usually pretty pretty easy and um, good to go on their day. Are you worried at all about when they are attending the live classes? Maybe the same concern could present even the asynchronous material, but when they're attending the live classes, that there's still not the level of interaction and therefore engagement of the student that there would be if you were sitting in a classroom having to pay attention to the teacher. Well, in my experience in brick and mortar, uh, I really don't worry about it because, um, you know, I spent a lot of years with the student who came to class every day and fell asleep on my desk. Um, you know, I had Chris, <laughs> Chris, I think I, I think I remember having a, a racer hit me upside the head. That's right. I thought it was funny. Well, well they probably assault and battery now. But yeah. Well, you know, the only way I was able to get that kiddo to not sleep, um, one day I handed him my sweatshirt and I said, I want you to get as comfortable as you possibly can and rest the entire class period. And he said, great, Miss Johnson, now I can't sleep. Um, So I think that same fight for engagement, um, whether we want to really grasp it or believe it or not, happens in our brick-and-mortar classrooms all the time. It's a good point. Um, So the nice part about virtual is because it's technology-driven, and we are in that era. I mean, our kids are technology-riddled from the moment of birth, pretty much. Um, there's There's a fascination with it that does hold. And the video component is really helpful Mm -hmm. because, you know, you can see. We get to see the environment the student's living in, which tells us a lot, you know. Um, We get to see what the interaction of the parent is or the absence. Are they allowed to turn off the the monitor? They are. Um, We really try to encourage the video um, engagement, but we have some students that come to us with extreme anxiety, or maybe they have been bullied because Mm. of appearance or different Mm -hmm. things. And so we try to be very sensitive to that because, again, you know, that's that that individualizing of what that student needs, and maybe they need that protection. And so we really work with them about, you know, is your camera just not working? Um, Is there something going on at home that you don't want to see? Right. Right. Um, you know, we'll reach out to them and have and a phone so it call. So generates a whole new set of questions. 
Right. Is it so are you safe at the house? Absolutely. Or? And our students each have um, an advisor. We call them capes, um, like a superhero cape. It's a coach of academic performance and engagement uh, because we do believe our students need a hero. And I always our, love all of these kind of terms. <laughs> I've been slightly facetious, but nonetheless. <laughs> we try to be creative. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, our advisors really do want to be the champion for that student. So if they're struggling, they can't make a connection with the teacher or maybe they do have an issue at home or maybe the technology. I mean, there are several places in Arkansas, I happen to live in one, that, it, that the Internet is not wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe they're having those struggles. And we want to give them that champion that's going to be able to stand in the gap. So that situation where they're not using their camera would be a great opportunity for that student champion to be able to reach out and say, hey, everything okay? Are you just uncomfortable? Tell me a little bit about you know why you're not using your camera. And then that helps us know how to, how to better deal Is with it. Is there a hybrid in which the te- I presume the other students can see all the students on the screen as well? Yes, Is they there can. a hybrid where only the teacher can see the student? Um, there is the ability for the teacher to be able to modify the platform mm-hmm. to where they can see, um, turn off you know capabilities for other students. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can do that. We don't do it a lot for right. that very reason that you mentioned, that socialization right. and getting to know those students and still having those soft skills, right, to right. be able to work as a team and a group and interact well. Um, but we do have the ability that we can do those things from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. Made me think about passing a note to a student. Can I can I send a little private note to a class to a classmate? You can, but the teacher can see every single one <laughs> oh, of them. Oh, yeah, going to read your note in front of the class. <laughs> exactly. Go right. put it up on the screen. Yeah, Amy, I got a question from State Representative Carlton Wing of North Little Rock, and he asked if we would ask you what is the biggest issue hindering ARVA growth now. That's a great question. Um, I think one of the biggest issues for us is just people understanding who we are and what we do. Um, You know, ARVA became um, a a public school charter in 2007. So it started as um, Arkansas Virtual School in 2002-2003 as part of a grant. Bill Brent. And uh, (laughs) not to to go back to Dave's history, right, Um, about the the politics of the time. But, you know, we've been around for a while. And I still meet people all the time who say, I don't know what you do. I don't understand what it is. Or they doubt the quality of what we do. Or is this a real school? Even when we're hiring certified teachers, sometimes they say, can you talk to my husband? Because he doesn't think I'm taking a job at a real school. So I think, you know, as hard as it is to to maneuver or manage that piece, I think just visibility and understanding is one of our biggest issues. Um, just helping people feel comfortable with the longevity we have and the fact that we are a trusted source for Okay, for so now within the Arkansas Education Department, are they all behind you all? Is the, is the <laughs> money there for you guys to expand? Because you know, not everybody has a computer, and you know there's there's money involved in this. And right. uh, is the state backing up their words of yeah, we want this to succeed? Of course, we're not going to give it any money. That, that won't succeed then. Right. So, I mean, we we're part of the funding formula, just like any other public school. So that brings with it, you know, its intricacies. Um, you know, does that lend itself to um, being able to afford doing all that we do? Not always. Um, we do 
we are very fortunate that uh, we're managed by uh, K-12, which provides all of our curriculum. And because they really um, are vested in the interest of our school, they do help us with opportunities and resources for our students that normally we might not be able to um, take advantage of. And really, our, our students have some, some pieces and resources that most um, of our brick-and-mortar kiddos don't get to have because we have that backing. So that's really helpful. Um, you know, again, at the department, uh, we're up for renewal this year for our charter and so uh, I'll be over there lots already have been and uh, I think part of that is just again helping them know there's sort of a, a stigmatism when you start talking about virtual education that people automatically their antennas go up and think you're trying to get away with something mm-hmm. or you're trying what, to do yeah. something halfway or you know and so I've really been trying to visit the department to just say listen we want to do this thing well um, this is what we're about we're not trying to skirt accountability we know our areas of weakness we know our areas of strength and we want to build um you know those weaknesses to do, be just as strong as other areas so i think it's really fascinating um stuff uh we're going to br- bring you back for one more segment after we go to commercial and uh i think uh chris has a few questions for you and we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll follow up with that right after this commercial break this is dave Ellswick show i am robert steinbuck not filling in for dave because he's sitting here with I'm here. us yeah i'm here that's right I had a meeting in the first hour. I heard you and Jr. did a fantastic Thank job you. talking about the debate. And then I wanted to get here because I wanted to meet Amy and right. I wanted to talk to her because I've I got a big, big spot in my heart for uh, the Arkansas Virtual Academy. And I think uh, if state representatives and senators uh, would take a few moments to learn more, they'd get more money behind this program, mm-hmm. support it more heartily, and... Uh, Big, m- bigger things would happen for them because they're already, as you're hearing from her, big things are happening. No question. What, tell us more, Dave, if, if you can, about your personal experience. Yeah, my, my daughter had uh, you know a little bit of a learning disability, and uh, she did better if she was by herself. Sure. And so I had to talk Linda into understanding that she could be a teacher, and uh, so we got involved with it, and uh, you know, Megan uh, liked it did well and then after she had a couple more years of of growing up and and growing into who she was uh, she was able to end up back in the Cabot school systems at that time so it's worked out really well for us it worked out well for Megan I think she knows more from in fact from Arva than she learned from the school system itself to be honest with you and it's also a remarkable story uh, and Amy maybe you can speak to this how that's a wonderful example of a hybrid model coming from the public system, uh, from the brick-and-mortar, I should say, system, into the virtual system, and then back into the brick-and-mortar. Do you have a lot of that? How prevalent is that? We do have some of that for different situations. Maybe we have families that have just moved to the area. They don't know what the school system is like. They're trying to acclimate to the, you know, to the community, and so we're a great choice there. Um, sometimes we're a perfect um, sort of middle choice for families that are experiencing medical issues or families in crisis. Maybe their family structures changing, yep. um, and so you know that it's a good situation um, for those folks who just need sort of a temporary 
reprieve from um, that that brick and mortar setting. Of course, we love to get students and keep them all the way through because we love to celebrate sure. our graduates, and we have lots of folks that come to us in kindergarten and stay with stay with us all the way through twelfth grade. But you know, to our point uh, that we talked about earlier, it, it's not a fit for everybody all the time. It's a fit for some sometimes, what is, right? Exactly, yeah. and you know, different. Uh, just like we have different seasons and stages of our lives as adults, our our kiddos do too. And you know, if we can if we can be that source for someone through their entire education, we love that. Um, if we can be the sort of a gap filler for families, uh, we want to do that too. So, what we really want to do is just provide a quality option and a quality choice, and help educate parents that they're not just limited to the school district where they happen to live, where their address is. Um, that they do have options, and that they're good options for their students. It's such a wonderful point. Go ahead, Chris. You know something that dovetails right with this is what the governor's been talking about is is the uh, bringing high-speed internet to the rural areas of of Arkansas. And he set a goal for 2022 with Elizabeth Bowles, the president and chairman of uh, Aristotle.inc., which I, I... Correct me if I'm wrong. I think she got a grant, um, a federal grant, to help do a study to bring these uh, this internet to some small communities. And um, it, so, if they had internet in rural communities, high speed internet, they could attend Arva. So, right? uh, absolutely. And, um, you know, we have a pretty wide threshold for types of Internet that we can uh, make work. And um, public libraries are great opportunities if folks have slow Internet or maybe they don't have Internet access. But we try to work hand in hand with our families to create those possibilities and those opportunities so that they can have that option, um, you know, if that is uh, sort of a, a hurdle for them. But to your point, definitely. I mean, any place that we can get um, high-speed internet, not just for our school, but for you know families in Arkansas, uh, would be an advantage. It's just it these so great. kids aren't having to get on a bus. I mean, there's laws in the books that um, say that you, know, you couldn't move the bus stop across a highway because kids are getting run over. I mean, you're not going to get run over attending Arva. Uh, well, I hope not, unless you're setting your laptop across I mean, the street for some reason. There's just, you know, there's just so many um, fantastic things about an online virtual school. And I'm, I'm sitting here fascinated, um, being a past board member of the East M Charter School and, and this virtualization of, of, of schoolroom and education is fascinating to me. And I think it's just fantastic, Amy. Well, I've got high-speed internet, but slow-speed brain, so I'm not sure what that, how that would play into it. Let me ask you about, I, as you know, Amy, I teach um, at the law school here, and some professors at my school have opted to not allow laptops in the classroom. I have not. I allow them. But I recognize the concern that the other professors have is that students are going to be Facebooking and Twittering and whatever all these other social media platforms are. And so I'd, I'd like to ask you two related things. One is, what's your thought about what I should do in my classroom? You've been doing this for a long time. And how do you deal with that concern, which probably exists in brick-and-mortar schools as well, in addition to yours? Uh, but in any event, how do you address it, and how should I address it? Well, um you know, technology in the classroom uh, is sort of a double-edged sword, right? Like, there's so many great opportunities to utilize it in ways that we never dreamt of in education. Um, but it also has sort of this danger attached to it of distraction. And and what I would say um, to you is that, listen, they're going to do it anyway. Uh, this is a technology-ridden um, society. This generation, uh, that's how they think. And one of the reasons I think... Our learners 
struggle so much right now is that, you know, our educational system is still situated around um, a learner who is um, supposed to be reading the newspaper every morning in actual print form. And that's not who we're teaching anymore. So, um, you know, in order to, to really look at who's sitting across from us as we teach, we have to find that common um, sort of railway to, to really grab their attention. Um, I think that's where, uh, honestly, a lot of um, ADD and ADHD issues come in. Huh? Um, exactly. <laughs> squirrel, right? Mm-hmm. Squirrel! <laughs> that's what I said to my buddy. Chris. <laughs> squirrel! Um, and not that those aren't real, real situations, but I do think they're aggravated by the fact that we're asking students whose brains and you know the, the synapses of their mind fire so quickly to slow down to the snail's pace because that's the way we're still delivering education. Um, so I would say keep the laptops um, and move your uh, desk to the back of the room. That's how I taught when I taught with a room full of laptops nice. so that I could see their nice. screens. I've, I've walked in the back of the room and I've called some students out as a consequence. Yeah. Yeah. One time I saw a student sort of texting on the phone but quite transparently. It didn't do a very good job of... Uh, Hiding it at all. Uh, And I said, you know, put that down or whatever, you know, but yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I just think really engaging and recognizing who we're teaching and what we're preparing them for, because the same students we would think about taking a laptop away from are the very ones who are going to be utilizing that same technology in a job that we don't even know exists yet. Yeah, Um, that's great. So, you know, to handicap their um, their creativity with that technology to me is doing them a disservice when we cannot possibly prepare them fully for the jobs that we don't even have a clue what they're going to look like in 10 to 15 years. Um, for us, it is a, it is a, a poss- or an option you know, that we have to an opportunity to really grab hold of students and try to help them focus on what we have at hand. Uh, we do a lot of things to try to keep that engagement. Video helps because obviously if we're engaging face-to-face mm-hmm. and their fingers are moving and we haven't asked them to do that, <laughs> right. they're doing something else, right? Um, I'm just taking notes, Miss Amy. Just, yeah. But I didn't say anything. That's okay. I still take notes. <laughs> I'm reading your mind, That's right? That's right. <laughs> Um, so I do think it is, you know, it is a challenge, but it's not a challenge unlike we would have, you know, to your point in your own in classroom. In my class, right? So, um, you know, we manage it as best we can. Sometimes we have deliverables that we ask students to um, scan and send to us as uh, actual notes that they're like taking in class. Some pizza. Um, you know, we should work that into the virtual right. model somehow, like a virtual pizza. lunch hour, pizza exactly. for everybody. Yeah. There's some like that free and reduced lunch money. I might be able to, yeah. I might be able to create like a, a nutrition program at ARVA. You never know about me. <laughs> That's a good idea. Well, listen, Amy, it's really been a joy to have you here. Um, Dave told me that you were coming in today, and I, I knew so little about this program to begin with, and I, I've really learned a ton about it, and I'm so impressed with what you guys are doing, and I'm glad that you came to this show in particular because we know that Arkansas legislators listen to this show regularly, and they trust Dave's judgment as they should and this is about educational choice. It's not the right fit for everyone. No one claims it is. You don't claim it is. But it's a great fit for many and you've got almost 3,000 students there already. So thank you so much for what you do for the state and for joining the show. Thank you so much. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck sitting here with attorney Chris Corbett and Dave Ellswick himself. You know, it was so nice to come into the uh, studio where Russ is sitting right now. He makes everything that we're doing go over the air. 
and uh, seeing Chris here because I hadn't seen him since the Capitals. That's and right. It's good to, to see him here. Paul Calvert has gotten in touch with him a couple of times because, as you know, Chris, Paul is being uh, beat upon yes, by he is. Conway. Yes, he is. Absolutely. You straighten him out, Chris? I, You're getting we, it we're done? working on it. He, we, we are working on it, and um, I gave a little presentation to the city council of Conway um, on, on Paul's behalf and um, also put the city of Conway on notice of constitutional issues. Yeah, I'm wondering if they're not breaking the law on some of the stuff I, that they're doing. Yeah, it's, uh, it's eighth grade stuff. We're talking um, you know, the Constitution of the United States of America. What's that? Uh, no, it yeah. says, says the local municipality. It says the What's local that? Democrats right. and right. some Republicans. They just need a reminder. And, um, and you know, you're going to remind them. Yeah, I told them if we have to do that in the third branch called the judicial branch, I'm here to do that. But if we can have a dialogue, I mean, literally, I was nice. I told them, hey, you're not looking at your enemy. And um, I think Paul appreciated it. And then if we have to go to the third branch, the judicial branch, we will. And um, I got to say, you know, Chris, uh, I've hired Chris to be my attorney. He is my attorney. He's a good man. He is. What you just heard <laughs> is what? smart. <laughs> Thank right, you, sir. But, and he's you, cheap. No, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he's a, I didn't know that part. Uh, but, what, but what you just heard is why. Because do, do you hear Chris's kind of middle of the road approach, which is, look, folks, I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get loud. Well, maybe. But. Not like us. Right. But but look, there's the law. If we can work it out, great. And I've had Chris work some things out for me. And if we can't, then we go to court. And I've had Chris do that for me as well. That's right. Yeah. It's a real solid. I might have to go visit Chris. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Come well, see me anytime. Look, you I know, might have to say some concrete block, too. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> you know, the thing, the, the thing about the law is you've heard... All the time, people say, well, we're such a litigious society, meaning we sue a lot. But remember, what's the alternative? Why do we have the notion of a lawsuit? It's so that we don't shoot each other, so we don't beat each other up. So, That's it. Right? Rob, you're right on point. It's to prevent self-help. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going back to the cowboy days. We're going to have a draw mm-hmm. in the streets. Are we With some a- people, I might like to do <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. Maybe Just a shootout saying. in the legislation. Or the, you know, the legislation. Right. That's what they used to do, but we don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, but know? is there not a point that we have to stop some of the stuff that's getting into our legal system? I mean, it's, it's already overburdened. It, I Dave, mean, for instance, this, right guy, this guy that went out and is suing a uh, Brazilian wax company because he's a guy... And he says he identifies with being a woman, and they won't give him a, a Brazilian wax job in his nether regions, and so they're discriminating against him. That's just crap. The judge should look at it and say, get out of my courtroom. But I, to I, be I clear, to be clear, the judge might. And what, what I think— Well, they don't do it enough. Yeah. Well, what I think— you know, it, it really, it's kind of funny, because you hear these cases that are ridiculous, and they— have a tendency to drag on through the press for some time. Yes. And then the flip side is courts are too ready to dismiss cases that people are entitled to their actual day in court. So I think there's a hybrid. There's a mix. And is it perfect? No. But is it better than people shooting it out in the streets? Oh, and it's it's much better than saying, I'm the king. That's the way it's going to be. Yeah. Mm, Depends on if you're the king. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, I'm just, say, you, I'm you just know saying. The, you know, the king hey, is the human, government. Yeah. Government. Yeah, the that's government. human nature, though. It, that's right. You know what? If we did have the king, you wouldn't have a branch like that. That's right. right? 
That's exactly right. And so. that's why we have the Freedom of Information Act, by the way. Oh, because we don't believe that. in kings. We get to look over your shoulder. Well, it's the difference between a republic mm-hmm. and a monarchy. That's exactly right. We don't want to do the monarchy thing anymore. We did, although there's some people, there's one party that's running on that right now. Well, let's talk about that because I think that's exactly right, Dave. Look, they say we want only the government to provide health care. We want to open the doors to the border and then be in charge of everybody that comes in. They they want to take over every. Oh, we want. Oh, corporations are evil and uh, people who make over a certain amount of money. This is de Blasio on the ladder. Did you hear him last night? um, Remarkable. It's remarkable. I'm going to tax the hell out of the the uber rich, basically. That's right. And the uber rich. Let me just say this. When they say uber rich, they're looking at you. Yeah. Yeah, it ain't They're so going to get to you. It may take them a few years, right. but they will get to you because exactly they cannot right. finance it just on the Uber. Rich. Of course not. They, they, someone's got to pay for it. Free college. Someone's paying for it. So, Free health care. Someone's paying. Someone's for paying for De Blasio's car ride from Manhattan to Brooklyn every day to, to go to the, to the gym and back. By the way, must be nice. Well, that's because when you're king, that don't count. That yeah. don't count. Yeah, I mean, I'll give Sanders credit. Because he was asked a question, and this wasn't during the debates, but it's a couple of weeks ago, and mm-hmm. they, they asked him about uh, the middle class. Would it be a middle class tax increase? He mm-hmm. said, "Of course." Yeah, I didn't say it wouldn't cost anything for health care. Right, right. So he was honest. Here's what I'm going to do. Yeah, Warren. <laughs> Warren hasn't been honest. No, she's, a, she's Harris dishonest. isn't honest. Most of the rest of them just say, you know. I know you all don't know this, but there are money trees growing behind the Capitol, and we'll just go pull those $100 bills right off of Of course. Well, Harris is an opportunist. You might say, well, they're all opportunists. Among, it's sort of like, who's the, who's the shortest man among, uh, among the short men? She's the most, one, of, one of the most opportunistic out of all of them. She was a prosecutor, uh, and as, who was it, uh, uh, Gabbard pointed out, Tulsi Gabbard pointed out, she was a merciless prosecutor mm-hmm. and now she rails against the criminal justice system i was completely unaware of that fact she oh, yeah. just mur- she's, oh, so she's yeah. throwing people in jail forever huh? oh yeah uh. oh yeah and then by the way warren of course it was a professor of law at harvard uh you know the, their first uh native american by the way uh <laughs> point zero she zero, used to zero. wear she used to wear a, a bow and uh, what do you call the, the thing they keep the arrows? A quiver. A quiver. On yeah. her back. Just, to, just to play the part. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Oh, yeah. Elizabeth Warren. It sounds Indian. Uh, in any event. Now, I know we're going to get phone calls. I realize there are Indians without yes, Indian sounding names. I get it. But the difference is they're actually Indians. Yeah. Absolutely. They're actually Indians. She ain't. No. Um, but uh, she has she taught law for years and years and you know what she says the the criminal justice system is corrupt front to back how are you teaching what you think is evil because they're paying me to teach corruption and i guess that's right you know how much she makes a year no four hundred thousand dollars uh, as a professor yeah but she's no longer right she's now she's a senator yeah. but yeah four hundred oh, yeah. oh, harvard pays well dollars. i had no clue wow. yes oh harvard pays well hmm. exactly yeah. It's it's tough work if you can get it, you know? And if you uh, are Native American... So I'm going to cut your paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, what about uh, what about Booker telling us about how oh, man. much he's going to improve the United States? What did he do in Newark? Have you been to New- I've been to Newark. Yeah, it's not. I've it's, been through Newark. Let's put it that way. I don't really know if I've been to Newark. I've been through, yeah, Get me out of here is how I've been to Newark. I, look, I grew up outside of Gary, Indiana. I was mm-hmm. born in Gary, Indiana mm-hmm. and moved out of Gary, Indiana with my parents. And Gary, Indiana, in Indiana, is known as the armpit mm-hmm. of Indiana. Mm-hmm. I can only th- say that Newark is known as the anal canal oh, of New goodness. Jersey. Oh, my goodness. It's a terrible place. It's not a good place. No, I, no. I've been And Booker there. was mayor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he did great things there. Oh, right? great things. Yeah. No, yeah. he thinks so. He, he did and great now he things. He made a name for himself. Isn't yeah. that great enough? Now, he's got some street cred, right? He's road scholar. Yeah. And uh, oh, he just, he knows. That? He knows. He's been dipping in the Kool-Aid, and he knows what flavor it is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. He's gonna he's gonna try to last through these rounds here. Just don't say anything too crazy to get into the final rounds of the Democratic primary. He's got a little bit of the crazy eyes. Oh yeah. Did you ever like you look at him and say, "Whoa, back it up a little bit"? <laughs> and I, I I think I see the pinwheels spinning when I look in his eyes. No, that's all I'm gonna be able to see when right, I see right, him. You look that's at him. Gonna you look, he's gonna be like the Joker from the 1967 <laughs> Batman episode, right? He's like, "Whoa, with the pinwheels." But uh, was that uh, Romero? Wasn't it? Yeah, that that's the right. Joker? That's right. Caesar Romero. Yeah, Caesar yeah. Romero. Yeah, he was. Well, he's hypnotizing folks. Definitely. Oh, because the, the Riddler was, of course, Frank Gorshin. Yeah, Frank Gorshin. Who was really good in the part. Very. Oh, yeah. Good. They that really was... had some stupendous people on that show. Oh yeah. That's some old Hollywood stuff. Oh yeah. I like that. Did you catch the reference uh, to that movie in, in uh, Tarantino? In the Tarantino movie. Yes. To, to that show in the Tarantino movie. Oh yeah. yeah. They had a little of the old. Uh, Batman and Robin. He sure did. Kapow, the, what do you onomatopoeia? Isn't that what that's called? Uh, Pow. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Is that that's onomatopoeia? Right. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's what uh, wasn't it. Uh, I wasn't a good English student. I'm trying to think. That's when, uh, oh, not De Niro. It wasn't De Niro. Who, oh, Pacino. Pacino was right. talking to him about going over and doing the spaghetti western. That's and he right. says, Pow, pow. That's right. Whoosh. That's right. Schwarz. <laughs> Let's think about that. We'll take a break and we'll come back. This is Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck. I'm here with attorney Chris Corbett and Dave Ellswick I'm, himself. I'm here. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm here. I got back, and but I'm not going to take you out of the seat. You get to sit in it today. I'm like Captain it Kirk. It feels great. Right? Hold on. It? Where are the buttons? I can't <laughs> find the buttons on the magic seat. Here, the, the key is when you play Kirk, you got to figure out, am I Kirk or am I Picard? Yeah. All right. I do, do you want to say Kirk. make it so? Yeah. Or do you want to do Kirk and you know the just bones. go crazy? Yeah. Get me out of here to the transport. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Well, you just have to sort of stutter your lines out if you want to do a Kirk. But Scotty, we need more. Exactly. I'm, I'm giving it all oh I can. <laughs> <laughs> we have been, as you know, Dave, uh, talking about the debates. On my show. On your show. I never talk politics. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And all along, of course, we knew that Trump has um, sort of right in the middle approval ratings and not so low disapproval ratings. And that has always been a concern if you want to reelect the president, which we do. But then I watch those debates and I say, oh, my gosh. He might he might get an even bigger landslide than he got last time. Here is the key. Yeah. Who is that? Uh, is it Delaney, the guy from Maryland? 
Yeah, he's trying to bring it back. Yeah, he's what's trying to bring it back to the I, middle. I have yeah. my list. What he, he called made. the high road, right? Delaney, John Delaney. Yeah, Delaney. He, he made, wasn't bad, by the way. The night before last, yeah. he made some very, very valid points. I thought that's right. I think that's right. And I want him off the stage. <laughs> Exactly. He's a threat. Yeah. Right. I see your point. I think he's a threat to kind of let the people know and let them in on. Because he said it was so funny. The day before, I had made the point that if the Democrats ran somebody from the left, like a Warren, or they ran somebody like uh, Harris, somebody like that. Right. Or, God forbid, Sanders. No, oh, not God forbid. Run Sanders. Yeah. Okay. How about a Sanders-Warren ticket? Here's what it's going to be. Here's what. Here's what's going. Well, that that could happen. Here's what's going to happen. And he mentioned this, and I thought this dude is listening to my show. You're going to have an election in 2020 that's going to be either a reflection of one of three past elections: one, Nixon versus McGovern. McGovern was as leftists as these people that are up there right now that's right okay number two reagan versus mondale remember oh yeah and then let's go to bush senior versus dukakis Mm -hmm. think for just a moment what the democrats were thinking about all three of those men they're too conservative they're too status quo and the only way we can get them out of office is to run on a ticket to the left. And they did, and what happened? I don't even know if McGovern won his own state. Ouch. Mondale only won, only won his, his own state, state right. Minnesota. And Dukakis, I'm not sure how many states he got, maybe three. Yeah, but it wasn't it was a lot. It, was, it, a was, lot. it was a landslide it was, for it was Bush. A, he got one. crushed. Right. He got crushed. And I... I see the same thing happening in November 2020. Well, not only that, Trump's delivering on his promises. Well, right, and so were I mean, so was Nixon at that time. Uh, so was for sure Reagan at that time. The economy was roaring; people were excited. Greed is good. Uh, and then you had uh, Bush Senior, all right, against Dukakis. That was his first race after Reagan left, and before the Ferengi Perot got involved. <laughs> into the election the, the four years later and right. took the election away from Bush. I don't know if I agree that... I uh, I, I don't know if we know for sure that... Uh, what's his name? Perot lost it for Bush. Here's the, the contrast with Bush. And it's based exactly... No on, new taxes was Right, so there are two things, bad. right? Read my lips, yeah. Chris said Trump is delivering on his, uh, on his promises. Bush won, didn't deliver on that big promise. So that's difference number one. Gave it up. Gave, that's the point, right? And then the other thing is that Bush won, uh, ran against not the leftists, as you pointed out. Centrist. The, centrist. Centrist. The biggest risk for Trump is is not the leftist, as you point out. It's a centrist. I don't think a centrist can win the Democratic primary now, but that's the that's biggest. That's why I say that Biden is right. not going to be the nominee. Right, right. J.R. thinks... Well, I don't know if Jr. thinks that Biden is going to be the nominee, but I think he's correct in thinking Biden has a floor below which he can't drop. So it depends how quickly, <laughs> right? It, yeah. it depends how quickly the all the other leftists drop off because if they stay in the race, they are going to cannibalize each other. Uh, but if only one pr- stays in the race, that remaining leftist 
uh, could easily beat uh, Biden. But I have to say, as leftists fall off of the uh, out of the off the platform or whatever, I believe the leftists that were following them will go to the next leftist. They have to, right? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, they're not going to go to Biden un, uh, until unless he's the last them, man standing. And yeah, unless he's the last, and uh, even then, yeah, I don't see them going to the polls. And well, we saw some of that with Hillary, right? Yeah. Because we had they the Bernie folks away. who stayed away. They were so. Who annoyed. was it that I had on that said that uh, they lived down in Austin during that time and said they couldn't believe how many people they heard say. I'm not voting for Hillary. Right? Yeah. Really? I'm staying home. They yeah. just stayed home. Yeah. Yeah. Because she got the nomination. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. My biggest uh, thing that I'm excited about is, uh, and quickly, because I know we're coming on the news, uh, getting the house back. We have got to get that gavel out of Pelosi's hand. Oh, uh, it's, I can't even listen to her talk. Well, you got to get past all the hand gesticulations just to see her mouth, right? <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> and this is coming from a New Yorker. Well, this is coming well, from they, a New Yorker who talks with his hands. They've run it out. They've got to quit with the impeachment talk. They've got to quit. They're not this, going to. They, they've got to. It's just crazy to me, this this agenda they're pursuing. The Mueller thing's over. The Russian investigation, it's over. So, all yeah. right. Take us to the news. Let's go to the news. No, we got five seconds. Well, let's go to the news. How about three, two, (laughs) and one, the news. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm Robert Steinbuck. I'm here with Chris Corbett and the man himself, Dave Ellswick. I'm here. I'm here. I want to talk about Marianne Williams. Let's do it. She's Mr. Calling. She seriously has to wish that her parents had birthed her so that she came of age in the late 60s, early 70s. I'm just, you know, yeah. every time I see her, I think, just give me another hit of clean air. Ooh. You know, I'm seriously, Absolutely. she's a flower child. She should be out there in the peasant, you know, blouse and, and whatever, saying, peace, love, let me give you some beads. I thought there were two interesting things about her uh, performance and post-performance. One is, as crazy as she sounded... And she sounded crazy. She made a very good point on stage when she said, we ain't going to win with this stuff. (laughs) Like, she looked to the left, she looked to the right, and she goes, am I missing something? Because we ain't going to win with this. And then afterwards, she's talking with um, Anderson Cooper, and Anderson Cooper essentially says, who are you going to vote for? Now, it doesn't say that, but it's, and she's like, I'm running, interesting. Like, what do you mean? I'm in this race. And then eventually, though, says, well, I kind of like Bernie and, and Elizabeth Warren. It's like, no. Yeah, I'm down. She said, I'm right. down. She said during the debate, right. I'm down with Warren and right. Sanders. Right, right. I mean, that's what she said. But she just, she looks, doesn't look facially, all right? But what she says is a hippie chick. Oh, 100%. That's what she talks. Well, she's a flower. On. She child. talks. Yeah, right. she's a flower. Child. That's right. She should move her campaign offices to hate Ashbury. That's right. Just be honest with That's you, right. and and be playing and and I don't know. That's truck, a hippie area in San Francisco. You know, Francisco. truckers or trucking should be her campaign song. You know, by the Grateful Dead. It'd be perfect for her. That's funny. And she'd pick up a lot of college students. She's just saying she would. She's getting some votes now. She's not enough, obviously, to win the primary. Oh, no. But 
but it's, it's it is remarkable that she's even up there on that stage. And I really did enjoy the comment, uh, looking looking to the left and right and saying, "What? Yeah. What's going on here?" Yeah, she's from California, right? Because I have no clue. I have she no is. idea where I think she's, she's from. from but whether yeah. she physically from California she's or not, child. she's, yeah, yeah, she's a flower child. Right. She is from California. Exactly. I do. Okay, I had to look her up. I was like, okay. Well, what about uh, our good friend uh, Beto, um, the alien inside of me? Every time I speak, oh, roar! He needs to right? drop out. Oh yeah. He, oh, no, re- no. he really does. It's too entertaining. He, well, he, yeah, he's entertaining. He all of a sudden he has great hair. He by flamed the way. out, right? He, he, has, went to, he went yeah. full afterburners. That's right. And then he he's got no gas left. He had dark hair. Now he's got grayish salt and pepper hair. Uh, so either he stopped dying it so he could look like he's older than fourteen, or he died in the gray. <laughs> he can have some of mine. <laughs> so that guy really. Oh, they they caught him running and uh, literally running. And they said, what are you doing to prepare? He goes, I'm running. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's a good answer. Well, he's, you know, they said that his resources are drying up in Texas. Mm-hmm. And he's got less than 1% support. Right. You know, right. when you're when you're under, that tells you somebody has an ego. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, he, I'm going to keep going because my inner circle is telling me I have a chance. He's going to continue to run and yeah, lose elections. Maybe. One after another, right? He ran against Ted Cruz, lost. He's going to run for president. He is running for president. He's going to lose. He'll go run for another office, lose. Interestingly, he referred to his run. He's like Tucker That's here, right. here in the state That's of right. Arkansas. That's right. Although Tucker Tucker uh, uh, is now going to run for state senate, you know, in my district, in fact. so Hopefully. He'll keep up the... Uh, the losing streak. The losing streak. Who's he going to run against? Well, there's there's apparently a oh, Republican. It's open seat. Oh, uh, yeah. it's a Republican. Okay. Right. It's an open seat because that was... Will Bond is not going to run for it. Will Bond's a Democrat as well. Oh. It's unfortunately a fairly Democratic district. That's the challenge. But I hope we can bring it around. I would I would call it fuchsia. What's that mean? The color of the... Oh, fuchsia. The, right, yeah, fuchsia. right, right. Exactly. Yeah, it's a hot purple. Yeah. Which means it leans... <laughs> It has a little bit of conservatism, but right. it leans Democrat, yeah, the, big time. Every time you're well, mixing the red and the blue, there. that's the right. Purple. I like yeah. it, but yeah. it's hot. But it's it's there's a whole purple. lot more red than there is yeah. blue. Yeah. Well, they, they elected Mayor Scott, and he's very lefty. Uh, and of course, we've seen the results. But boy, of that didn't already. he come off not that way in the general election? Is that oh, right? He yeah. had some slick handlers, I think. Mm-hmm. He was good. Mm-hmm. He came off as a very smart and astute businessman. Yeah, now he wants to now fire the cop. Now he's in. Now he's right. changing it. Now he wants to fire the cop who literally, let, let's go over this case. This is a Stark case, right? Yep. Uh, Stark is a cop, sh- uh, chases down a guy who stole a car, catches him in a parking lot. The, there's two people in the stolen car, the driver and the passenger, Passenger complies with Stark's orders, gets out of the car. So we know that you could understand what the cop was saying. There was no issue there. The driver doesn't get out. Stark thinks he has a gun. Guess what? He has a gun. Well, it's not in dispute. The passenger told the cop. Oh, there you go. That's right. He Is has right? a gun. Oh, even more interesting. I forgot about that. And the the guy with the gun refuses to show his hands and then drives his car uh, into Stark, as Stark is trying to get away from the the bad guy's um, sort of exposure, and in doing so, winds up going in front of the car because sometimes you have to do that. And the mayor apparently allegedly said after the shooting, the day of, he, I want this guy fired. The mayor, of course, hired the to new commission. assistant 
chiefs. Right, to the assistant chiefs, who didn't comply. Nope. But the commissioner, the new commissioner that the mayor just hired, uh, all of a sudden found, I put in quotes, independently, end quote, uh, a reason to fire the cop. Not supposed to stand in front of a car. Right. And, of course, he wasn't yeah, standing in front of a right. car. It doesn't mean that... If a bad guy winds up putting the front of his car in your way, or the only way for you to get out of the way of the guy with the gun is to go in front of a car that you can't do it. The rule doesn't even prevent that. The rule says you can't put yourself in front of the car for the purposes of creating a dangerous situation. He did exactly the opposite. He went in front of the car quickly with the purposes of getting away from danger. I think that's the, exactly what he did, right? That's exactly what he did. He was putting some cover between an open that's window. It. That's it. And him. That's right. And he it is instinctual That's to right. move away and from correct. the open window. Yeah. And and the, the guy who was cross-examining him in the hearing, was it last week or the week right. before? Before right. he broke his arm or wrist. No, wrist. no. That's the direct. Oh, the guy yeah. who was cross-examining him, they hired oh, him. Kyam, of course, the, Eddings. Yeah. Of course, the city hires a private attorney from a big dollar law firm. Friday firm. Yeah. Yeah, really? Yeah. Really? With, oh, I wonder who paid. Oh, yeah, you paid for that. Yeah. That you paid for that. Taxpayers. Taxpayers paid for that. And so this guy says, well, why didn't you run around the other way? And the cop's like, you mean the way I couldn't get around the car? Yeah. Like, I, And by the way, are you a cop? Have you ever been out in the field? I mean, just because a cop made a decision doesn't make it right. But if you have no clue what you're talking about, don't give me advice on how to get away from danger. Well, what I don't understand is, again... Protect and serve. Right. That's right. that's your motto, right? Protect is the first word. Indeed. It seems to me that if you have somebody driving a stolen vehicle, okay, if you didn't know he had a gun, then maybe you don't get in front of the mm-hmm. car. You mm-hmm. can find the guy mm-hmm. later. But if you know he has a gun and he's willing to run you over with the car, what's he going to do to the average citizen that he might come across? Of course. You need to take that. That wild dog down. I'm just but saying. But it's more than that, right, Dave? Right. It's not, that wasn't even the, the, the prime motivation, meaning he went in front of the car not for the purposes of taking uh, the, the bad guy down, but because if you're on the side where the driver is and you know he has a gun or think he has a gun, you got to get off that yeah, side. Absolutely. How do you get away from that side? You either go in front of the car or behind the car. But if you're towards the front, you don't run past the open uh, window of the driver that has the gun because that's when you get shot so you yeah. run around the other way there's only one way to go that's right well and the other thing is you have to obey a policeman's orders right that's right guess that's what right. he's got a gun that's right if you don't obey a policeman's orders he wouldn't show his hands yeah he wouldn't show his hands i mean this is you know i think the officers i don't have any police training but i just wonder is it kind of like blackjack you assume that that whole card the dealer had right. is a tin card right? well you certainly do Are you, when you don't see the hands that's right when I, they don't comply when you've given a lawful order yeah. let's stack up the reasons it's not one reason yeah. it's multiple reasons to be suspicious of the guy with the gun i, I couldn't do a policeman's job yeah. i couldn't walk up to a citizen and assuming he's armed. I come right. up with a battle shield, right? I'm well, armed battle. All right, let me see your hands. But what's so remarkable about this story is you hear those stories where the cop reasonably thought that the bad guy had a gun, and it turns out he didn't. So the cop makes right. a judgment call, a fair judgment call, because life is about judgment calls, but it turned out to be factually wrong. This judgment call was right, and their challenge to him is, but it could have been wrong, and he got but fired. it wasn't. And he got fired. But it wasn't. Yeah. 
And like you say, Chris, and he got fired. Yeah. Let's think about that. Let's take a break, and we'll, we'll, we'll come back. This is Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck, here along with attorney Chris Corbin, of course, Dave Ellswick himself. Yeah, hey, by the way, I'm looking. Hicken, Hickenlooper is done, right? I don't know if he around? knows it, but, okay. but I he's think still that, in. He's still in. No okay. one's told him. It's a, it's sort of like um, it's sort of like Joe Biden. You know, Joe Biden arguably died several years ago, but nobody told him, right? So <laughs> okay, so we got uh, Seth Moulton. Who is that? He's a kind of um, he was in the military and he kind of got a big bill to him, mm-hmm. but he's going nowhere fast. Okay, De Blasio, De blah 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 blah. Blasio. Blasio. Yeah, right? we know who he is. Booker. Steve Bullock, is that Sandra Bullock's boyfriend or husband or something? I don't know. I have no idea who he is. Buttigieg, he's still there. I don't know why. Julian Castro is on life support. Delaney is off of life support. He just doesn't know he's flatlined. But very lines. smart. He gave yeah, some he good is. answers. I he thought. is. Uh, Gabbert is on life support. Yeah. She she really stuck it to, um, what's her name? Um, oh, yeah, uh, Harris. Harris, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, Gillibrand or Gillibrand. Gillibrand, on repeated occasions during the debate, was like, oh, what? Huh? Me? Squirrel? Huh? Yeah. She <laughs> didn't know she was on the stage. Who is Mike Gravel? I have no idea. I have, I have no idea. We're looking at this list. Yeah, I'm just looking at the list of all these guys. And, and ladies, Clover uh, Char is starting to... At least people can pronounce her name now, I guess. I actually think... She's uh, coming to Little Rock. Oh, is she? She's speaking with for the Democrats about something. Oh, interesting. Yeah. She... Look, I don't agree with the Democrats' policies, but she at least seems reasonable, even though I disagree, right? She's, For example, she's one of the few that says, uh, why do we want to take away existing health care when we offer new health care? Why do you, you can't really uh, get that done. And of course, Warren says, don't have small ideas, because Warren wants to give away unicorns and rainbows, right? Because that's how you win. You pledge unicorns and rainbows, and then when you can't provide them, well, who cares? I've been elected. Uh, here's the key. Yeah. The Democrats, the leftists, are not going to allow the moderators or anybody else that's on stage to get serious. You will not be able to say, how much is that going to cost? Right. How is that going to be implemented? And what do the American people think about that? Because you know what their answer is? Mm-hmm. Why are you asking Republican talking points? Right. Right. That's what they ask. Right. You mean questions? You yeah. Mean questions? Yeah, but <laughs> you're right. They totally stopped. It's like calling somebody a racist. That, it stopped. It's them. the same tactic. They, yeah, you know, that's a really good insight, Dave. I mean that. The, the I mean, I've been of, watching them do that, yeah. and they're stopping them in their tracks. That's what happened to Delaney. Yeah, that's a really because here's the tactic of the left: you call someone a really bad name, and you shut them up. So they used to call, and they still do, by the way, call. Uh, conservatives racists and conservatives used to shut up now they don't because racist has lost its uh, meaning yeah exactly and so now on stage with fellow democrats you don't call them a racist although they did right they called biden a racist yeah, sure so they tried that didn't work too well so now what he said you call him a republican that's even worse yeah, that's even worse <laughs> that's even worse why, why are you asking republican right. talking points right you you may I, or may not be a racist that but you're came republican. up four times that's right three times last night just that's, a way of cutting the conversation off like that that's a that's a really good insight because that's exactly it's all about the name calling it's all about attacking the person 
instead of the idea. Yeah, just people not, uh, they don't want to try to answer the question. It's like, who was it that made the statement? It wasn't McCaskill. McCaskill was on one of the talking head shows, and she said a couple things that actually had some logic to it. But there was somebody else that made the statement uh, dealing with these folks that uh, it's going back with this stuff sounding like voodoo economics all over again. Right, right. That, now, that's going all the way back to Bush. Yeah, George Bush, the all senior. Right? And it's yeah. just like when Delaney started talking about Nixon and McGovern and Reagan and, and uh, uh, Mondale and all of that, I'm thinking to myself, dude, I do this on my talk show, and a lot of the people that listen to my talk show have no clue what I'm even talking yeah. about. Yeah, They have no historical you know, view of this at all. That we've been here and done this, and we're trying to do it again, and it's going to have the exact same outcome. Mike, interesting. What about this? You know, Tom Steyer is that candidate who, for now almost two years, now he's from Silicon Valley, right? Right, he's okay. from Silicon Valley. He's a billionaire, big money. Yeah, billionaire, gay guy. Oh, is I thought a, he was gay guy, or he's big on gay rights or oh, whatever. Maybe I didn't know that. Um, in any event. He's the one that started the Impeach Now movement. So for two years, we saw the Let's Impeach. Oh, is right. he the one with those little commercials? That's out? right. Uh, and that kind of gravelly voice. But here's my, and this is really the pressing question of the day. He seems to own only one tie. He's got that same plaid tie in every commercial, <laughs> in every debate, and everywhere I see him, he wears one plaid tie. <laughs> now, it, you know, uh, Chris and I once had this conversation how, I don't know if it was Einstein, but one of these so uh, these types said, well, he wears the same thing every day, you know, a, a white shirt and a khaki pants. Cayman, the inventor. Oh, yeah. Cayman, right. the inventor. Right. Because, the segue. I don't, have, I don't have time to think about what to wear. And, of course, my response was, does it really take that much time? <laughs> really? Do you eat right. the same meal every day? Yeah. Right? You know, do you watch the same TV show? I'm so smart. You ever change wanna, a channel? I don't want to waste any of my yeah, brain power. Right, exactly. On having to pick out a different color shirt. Yeah, exactly. Do you take a shower in the morning? That must take three minutes. I mean, it's a lot of work. I'm just going to buy 12 shirts. Yeah, all exactly. The same. It's like Jay Leno with his denim uh, leisure suit. Right. Go buy a white shirt, Jay. You know, it's, 19, it's not 1977 anymore. Okay, now Steyer, and I just yeah. said he was from Silicon Valley. Right. I'm wrong. Oh, okay. But he's a kind of inventor type. Uh, he's, yeah, I mean, he's, investor. He's worth $1.6 billion. Right, exactly. He's a hedge fund manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a big money guy. How how does he even get to stand on a Democrat stage? Oh, no. He says, but after I made all my money through capitalism, I don't like it anymore. Right. It's not fair. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. All right. It's because it says here, he's an American billionaire hedge fund manager, philanthropist, environmentalist yeah philanthropist me literal liberal activist That's and it. fundraiser is he from connecticut is that where he's from is that uh born he was born in new york city new york oh okay oh, okay 1957 go. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he was younger than i am mm-hmm. should know better than what he's saying mm-hmm. the way i look at it well he's got that plaid tie i know he's got that going for him how tom steyer this is 538 great website by right. the way Normally wrong, but a great website. How Tom Steyer could win the 2020 Democratic primary. All, All the other candidates die. die. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly it. There you go. That's exactly. I'm sorry. That's the only. That's the only way I see him getting to the uh, the presidency. 
Bernie really is sounding a little bit more unhinged. And let's be careful. That's Bernie. You yeah. know, one wonders whether he could sound more unhinged, but he does. I think he's feeling the desperation. One that he he's, feels it slipping away again. I think that's right. I think he feels it slipping away. I think he saw the one opportunity. He felt it was stolen from him by Hillary. By the way, speaking of stolen and, you know, during the last election, they asked Trump, would you accept the results of the election? He said, well, I'll let you know. Right? I'll let, <laughs> I'll you, let know. you know. Fair enough. Funny. Right? I'll let you know. Oh, oh my God. Uh, Hillary says, and, and by the way, Obama as well. Oh, my God. Uh, it, it's distressing to the democracy that you are questioning the legitimacy of any election. Trump gets elected. The whole Democratic Party questions the legitimacy of the election. Wait, what? Wait, yeah. what? They're still trying to contest it. They're I mean, still I mean, contesting I mean, the election. They do it every day every, in the House right now, let me tell you. Every single day. And then, of course, they're splintering themselves because the House votes 300 and change to 100, not to impeach. 300 and change. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they just they can't get their act together. Well, it's like, you know... Yeah, AOC, we really like the sound of that uh, NGD, but when it comes down to voting for it, no go. Yeah, well. <laughs> we ain't voting. None of them no, voted for it. No, of course not. Of course. None of them. The biggest sound that I associate with uh, AOC is that whooshing sound of jobs going out of New York City after she scared away Amazon. Oh, that's a smart move. Yeah, that She's actually got happened. some really, really good candidates on the Democrat side. And then waiting for her on the Republican side to run against her in 2020. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, there's a there's a, a new woman who stood up who's taking on uh, Omar there in Minnesota. I saw so that. that's going to be interesting. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. I think they've. I think a lot of people who voted for them have voters' remorse. I think Seriously. that's right. You know, I think that's exactly right. Well, I also do think. I also think that many of the people that voted for them didn't know what kind of hidden racism and anti-various groups uh, those anti-American, yeah, well, in, in many respects, right? But but more importantly, they, they they seem to pigeonhole all the. If you're white, you're male, you're this. If you're that, uh, they don't they don't like a lot of Americans for some reason. All right, tomorrow on the Dave Ellswick Show, we're going to talk movies. We're going to talk Social Security. Those are the two big topics. Movie, we'll talk about the new one with The Rock and Jason Statham. I'm seeing it tonight. I'll tell you what I think about it tomorrow. Thanks for letting me host, Dave. You're more than welcome, sir. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.